Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to episode 37 of The Hilo, the weekly news, current affairs and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. Hello. (laughs) Such a tentative hello, Dolly. I know. Are you all talked out? I am all talked out. Tell the listeners why you're all talked out, Dolly. I've been doing the audiobook recording of my book, Everything I know about love, which is out in February. Nice always, get a little plug in. Always using this podcast. I didn't need. Right. I didn't need to say it was out in February, did I? I didn't need to say that. No, you don't plug it very much. On uh, it, what would have been worse if I said it's available for pre-order now? I think you just did. <laughs> yeah, God, it's so tough. The old audiobook reading. You thing. don't. Can I be so bold to say that you don't love reading aloud at the best of times? Pandora has learnt and has been very patient over the last couple of years. I'm very bad at reading aloud. You have noticed that I don't read the word until I land on it, which I think is quite stressful. It is very stressful. (laughs) It's like improv. Improv Um, reading by Dolly Alderton. And it's also hard because when you're doing an audiobook, you realise that your voice has about six different places in your body where it can come from. And you realise certain places that it comes from more when you're trying to do certain things. So rather embarrassingly through life, either defensively or as a self-protection, is to be try and be funny all the time. And you notice that your voice does certain things and sounds different when you're trying to, like, get a laugh. It's just really cringy. Have you done all different voices? It's actually really hard because we had, like, me and the director-producer, who's this amazing man who I'm obsessed with called Roy, who's, like, this kind of penguin institution. And he's really carried me through it, actually, because I found it really difficult. But we had a discussion where I was like, I don't want to sound like a shit actor doing, like bad accents but it's also quite hard because as you know as someone who's read the book tonally the kind of third act of my book kind of takes a bit of a serious turn and I hadn't realized reading that aloud is quite confronting it's quite difficult well that sounds really interesting would you recommend that someone listened to it whilst reading it at the same time yes I would unsurprisingly (laughs) I've also been enjoying, I was really ill on Saturday evening and I lay horizontal on the sofa and watched every episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you heard about this? No, what's that? Is it like Miss Marple? It's a Netflix um, show that's written by the same woman who wrote Gilmore Girls, which I've never actually watched. But it's about, it's like a period piece. It's set in the late 50s and it's about a... Jewish woman on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and how she, it's kind of like the story of Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand and the, the character is based on a young Joan Rivers apparently and it's about how she tries to break into comedy when her marriage breaks down. It's so, so good. I've never heard of it. Has it done well? Yeah, the reviews have been really good and I think you'd love it because the costume and the interiors and the set and the, the world of it is kind of this beautiful, elegant, mid-century aesthetic treat and it's just really funny and it's I'm full of soul. I'm not a um, period drama person 
at all. Like, at all. I've literally never watched any of them. But... Might give that one a go. But it's not like... There's no whiff of Downton Abbey in this. Okay. It's really, really good. If you love all those kind of old Barbara Streisand films, which I do, you, you would love this. Another big piece of news in Casa Alderton is I had my windows professionally cleaned this week. Have you done that? Of course I've done that, Dolly. Why am I the only person who's never done this? Oh, the filth you must be living with. I know, with. it was black. Well, I'd only, I've only lived there for six months, but obviously the rotters before hadn't done it for a number of years. It only cost 40 quid and it's absolutely transformed my flat. This is one of those conversations I can't have because it's like you've discovered taking the bins out. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I agree, window cleaning's great. You can see through the windows. How often do you do it? I think probably the norm is about, I don't know, once a year? I think I might do twice. Is that too extravagant? Absolutely not. It's £40. Yeah. It's like having your house dry cleaned, is how I would describe it. Tell me about your week, Pandora. (laughs) You wore a very sexy dress a couple of nights ago. That was a great dress. Yeah, that dress seemed to go down very well. It was nice to find a dress that A, fitted me, because I am now like a moving chariot. I mean, you're really not. (laughs) And also, it was nice to feel really good in something. I think, you know, when you're pregnant, you feel quite hefty. So you don't really think, oh, yeah, I feel really great. You more just think, oh, dear God, when can I lie down? I think it did really well on Instagram, the picture of you in that dress. And I think it's because... Thanks for the analytics. I think... (laughs) I like it when Dolly tells me about how well I've been performing on the internet. As your manager, uh, that was a good move. Because... I think you just looked yourself and you looked very sexy and very feminine and you're heavily pregnant. And I think we've talked about this a lot, that there's this weird societal view that when a woman is pregnant, she's in this sort of other category. She can't be herself. She can't dress how she would. You know, she takes on this entirely new body and new role. It's quite an odd interim period. Yeah. It's yeah, of course it is. Man, woman or other. <laughs> and you're in, you're in other. What were the fashion awards like? Fashion awards are... They're so comical because I think when you see them on the Daily Mail and stuff, as you always do, and you see Bella Hadid and Gigi Hadid and Cara Delevingne and stuff and what they're wearing, it's just this massive ceremony, unbelievably long, very small portions of food. How surprising. But there's always quite a lot of comedy, mainly from the hosting. So Jack Whitehall has hosted it for the last few years. But Naomi, Every year he does it? I think he's done it for the last three or That's last two. He did it last year as well. Although this year you could see all of his auto cues, which made it slightly less funny. I could read what he was reading before he said it out loud. You should have stood up and taken the mic. Absolutely, Dolly. But uh, Naomi Campbell did a lot of the presenting and she is just a hilarious woman. Why? What was she doing? She's just nuts. You know, she's been in the fashion industry since she was 16 and she's almost 50 now. And she just, she's definitely in the other category. Institutionalised by fashion. She's just a hilarious woman and she's not afraid to sort of speak her mind. And she's really back in the public eye now, thanks to Edward Enifil, who's the editor of Vogue. Mm. And they're very, very close. She calls him a brother. And she's a contributing editor of British Vogue. But she, yeah, she's a funny woman. So, yeah, so I went to that on Monday night. I read Demigods by Eliza Robertson, which is a book that came out in September that I was recently sent by Bloomsbury. Eliza is a very young writer from Canada who has won lots of prizes for her short stories and she's actually incredibly well endowed with prizes. I have to say I didn't love Demigods. I've actually read a few books in the last week that I haven't loved. I haven't had a haven't had a run of loving the books that I've read actually. I finished Marlena by Julie Bunton and I, I didn't love that. 
And the interesting thing about me not loving Marlena and Demigods is they are both ostensibly coming of age stories. There's a lot of discovery of sexuality. There's a lot of family dysfunction within families. Drunk mothers feature heavily in both. And not to sound too morbid, but those are the kind of topics I really enjoy in literature. Mm. But both books, Demigods more than Marlena, felt quite emptily poetic. You know, when you just don't... Like, lovely lines, written beautifully just knew nothing about anyone in the book by the end and it just felt like a sort of empty house a bit Mm. I don't know if that's a trope at the moment I hope all the coming of age stories aren't going to do that maybe it's when you also write a lot of short stories I wonder if because when you write short stories it's so key your language and how you tell it like I feel like it has to be much more beautifully written than, than a long form novel so I don't know if that's part of it and then I started reading some of the stories from Sourheart, which I know you loved. Oh, yeah. It's, it's quite punchy, though. Not into it yet. Mm. So, I mean, a real trail. And I feel disappointed in myself a bit like when I read Milk. Do you remember when I talked about that? And I said mm. Milk had had these ringing endorsements and it just 100% passed me by. You know, it's so subjective. It's okay to not find a connection in something that everyone else loves. No, but I feel like it shows that I don't know what great writing is. And I like to think that I am an understander and an an aligner of great writing. I feel the same about Boyhood. I think I've talked about this before. I think Boyhood is the worst film ever made. And it's an insecurity of mine because is I'm that like, the Richard Link? Yeah, the later, later one. one that was filmed over. Yeah, a I did of like that. I did like that. But I know what you mean. It taps into this insecurity of mine. That's like, oh, maybe I don't know good cinema if I like think that's terrible and I'm still watching. And also, Downton to be Abbey fair, repeats. I do. And I, I saw a journalist who whose work I love was Instagram storying how much she was kind of disappointed with Hanya Yanagihara's A Little Life, which I think is just this momentous piece of fiction. She was like, oh, it's a bit too, like, torture porn and where's the female voice? And I was like, no, it's wonderful in my head. You know, when you love a piece of writing, you want other people to love it and vice versa, when people have loved something, you do kind of feel this onus to love it as well. Anyway, to be fair, I went on to Goodreads and I had a look at all the reviews of Demigods and there were a lot of people in my camp of sort of wondering what the point of it was. On a much lighter note, I have been enjoying Friends from College, which is an eight-part series on Netflix. I'm finding it immensely watchable as my brain is quite fried this week, so I'm moving house on Friday and I've had so much to do with that. But The Guardian, which I enjoyed, called it a televisual asshole safari, which I'm definitely going to steal because I guess it's the idea that when you've watched something so completely awful, it's a safari of arseholes. <laughs> Clearly I am an arsehole as I really enjoyed it. There's a great line where one of the characters is a writer and his agent says to him, look, the great American novel is now the young adult teenage series with massive film rights. And he's got this struggle now to sort of abandon his Jonathan Franzen-esque writing career to write the new Twilight. And he's trying to think of like something that's scary but also sexy. So I really enjoyed it, but yeah, it's had terrible reviews. Something that has not had terrible reviews, which I've also been thoroughly enjoying, is Internetting with Amanda Hess, which is a series of five-minute visual podcasts created by culture writer Amanda Hess in collaboration with the New York Times. I know that sounds a bit weird because a podcast is by dint an audio thing, but 
you watch it on your phone and there's a lot of kind of like a slideshow it's only five minutes long my friend lizzie recommended it she's a writer at the new york times and i watched and listened to one called the white internet's love affair with digital blackface which deals with our cultural reliance on black emojis and memes for humor or as hess puts it white people outsourcing their emotional labour to black people. It's really interesting. It really made me think, actually, and it really made me more aware before I now start posting. Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Giffy revealed that the most popular gift for happiness and also the most popular gift for sadness is a black meme. And Hess's most powerful point was that there's an imbalance with how regularly black people are represented in kind of internet form compared with how regularly black people are allowed into positions of power. Mm. So essentially they're a tool to co-opt for humour. But as she says, you know, we don't get to co-opt their cachet of black cool whilst also ignoring the effects of white privilege on society, particularly black society. Another really good one is the ugliness of beauty apps. It's also brilliant. And you get a lot from five minutes. Could have been Mm. half an hour for how much you get out of it. There was a sublime Graham Norton interview in The Observer magazine on Sunday, which I will tweet the link to. It was an interview by Eva Wiseman. I love Graham Norton. And it was just a great piece. And he is great in it. I just love Eva Wiseman doing interviews. I feel like I'm fangirling, fangirling all I over. I do mention her a lot. She really captures the essence of someone in a really unexpected way. There was also a great piece this weekend in The Guardian on um, Muslim foster parents. Some of you may remember we mentioned it in the podcast earlier this year when a quite sensational story hit the headlines about a Christian child who was forced into Muslim foster care. There were all these things that the child was no longer allowed to do, like wear her crucifix and eat pastor and xyz and of course there was a big ruckus and quite a lot of islamophobia was perpetuated in the wake of that piece i really loved this piece because it felt not like a riposte but more just a more accurate telling of how vital any foster family but particularly in this case muslim foster families are and that that was you know a particular example of a of a religious or a culture clash and despite the challenges these families are playing you know a vital role in bringing up vulnerable children the author of the piece safra manzor meets i mean they're just wonderful honestly the families that safra meets one set of parents who stayed up all night when their three christian foster children arrived decorating their first ever christmas tree and they said the look on the children's face the next day was like nothing they'd ever seen and they'd never had a tree in their house before but they said all we wanted was these these children to feel comfortable Mm. so I think it shows that you know religious clashes don't need to be the sort of dramatic undoing of of someone's faith they they can coexist you know these foster parents were Muslim but the children were Christian so they found a way to make their kind of young charges feel comfortable. It was a really vital and valid piece to come out after the scaremongering of that undeniably not so lovely tale earlier in the year. And I will also include a link to that in our show notes. We had a lot of lovely emails this week, but one really stuck out for us that we that we wanted to read. The subject was, I'm a bloke and I love your show. Dear Dolly and Pandora, I'd like to start off by pointing out that I'm a bloke, not a particularly blokish bloke, but a bloke nonetheless. (laughs) I don't know what the male-female demographic of your listeners is, but as a bloke, I'll stop saying it now, I'm an enormous fan of your podcast, having only just found it recently. The podcast brings light and laughter to a rainy winter afternoon, while serving as an interesting and thoughtful commentary on current affairs. Looking back at your titles and topics of the last few weeks, 
I do find it difficult to listen to stories of Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, countless politicians and relentless Trump mania as a guy, particularly as a young one, starting out in real life having only just turned 20. Why have so many of them fudged it and acted so appallingly, setting a precedent for further atrocious behaviour? Rhetorical, I do not expect you to account for centuries of masculine ineptitude. God, I love this guy. I'm reading History of Art and English Literature at uni, the dream, right? And this week we embark on the topic of feminism. I'm unapologetically an advocate for the equal treatment of guys and girls, aren't we all? And studying it academically has sparked my interest in this field further. I see feminism as an incredibly important ideology to be fully acquainted with, particularly as I am a boy. However, I have found that at a university level, the topic can sometimes be so stuffy and pretentious that it takes away from its meaning and resonance. I'm writing, therefore, to ask for your recommendations of any feminist books, authors, articles that will be both interesting and informative for me as a guy. Whilst I do not want to hate myself for my gender, I would like to be as aware and, for want of a better phrase, woke, as you yourselves once stated. All the best and peace and love, Hugo. I'm obsessed with the expression fudge it. <laughs> Covers all manners of things. And I also like this line, not a particularly blokish bloke, but a bloke all the same. <laughs> Hugo, you are a god or perhaps a demigod among men. I think the obvious answer to this would be, you know, go read some bell hooks and some mm. Eleanor Marks. But in truth, I haven't read a lot of specifically feminist literature myself. I actually think that merely reading the news, social media talking to your friends, being active and curious will give you a fairly accurate representation of the gender equalities that women still struggle with. At the British Fashion Awards on Monday night, actually, the model Adwa Abawa, who won Model of the Year and has been very open and honest about her own struggles with drug addiction and mental health. She founded a brilliant mental health platform called Girls Talk. She said she was really sad about all the sexual assault that happened in the movie industry. And I found this really interesting. I'm a big fan of Adwa, but there was something really key here that was missing. Women aren't being assaulted in the film industry. Women are being assaulted all over the world. Mm. A woman very close to me said the other day, I don't know anyone who's been raped. Do you? And I thought, yes, yes, I do. And you will too. The problem is so much goes unsaid and so much is just accepted. So in answer to you, Hugo, I would say carry on being the clearly empathetic, curious, interested and kind young man that you are. Read the things around you. Stand up for the small injustices you see day for day. And you'll be the woke feminist that you want to. And I think you probably already are. Yeah, I agree with Pandora. I think it's good to familiarise yourself with the vast spectrum of the female experience and the history and the progressions of, of women's rights and feminism. And in terms of books that I would recommend, the books that had a real impact on me when I was younger were The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, The Female Eunuch and the Whole Woman by Jermaine Greer, How to Be a Woman by Catelyn Moran had a big effect on me, um, as did Everyday Sexism. But as Panda said, I think what would be more powerful is to just listen to women and their stories and enable them to be heard and seen in your seminars, in when you get a job, you know, in the workplace, in social situations, in day-to-day -day life. And we're really happy that you wrote to us. We're really happy that you're listening. You sound like a real ally. And I wish every man could be as interested and invested in the female experience 
as you are and understand there are still these huge disparities that exist between the male experience and the female experience. Thank you for writing. We also got an email from Savannah who set up a company with her sister called Women to Look Up To, womentolookupto.com, with the rather lovely ambition to give the dusty old angel on top of your Christmas tree a makeover with some charitable subtext. Savannah and her sister are selling three different Christmas tree toppers of inspirational women, Serena Williams, Beyonce, and then they ran a vote, now closed, for the third, and Hillary Clinton, interestingly one. They are £80 each, individually 3D printed and carved from plastic and hand painted they're actually really gorgeous and they made me laugh and sort of struck a chord in my heart if anyone would like to buy one you can use the 15% off discount code festive friends in capitals women to look up to is a non-for-profit where any profits made from the sales go towards three pillars first is leading ladies a program devised to give young people access to leading figures in the arts the second is WTLUT journal shining a light on guest writers from a range of backgrounds who write about female empowerment equality and inspiration and the third pillar inspiring innovations designs and products which are campaigns in themselves to empower women they have innovative valentine's day mother's day and international women's day ranges in development savannah and her sister are currently teamed up with scarlett curtis's pink protest activist advent calendar which is running a giveaway competition for an angel topper on the 13th of december you can read more on the website women to look up to.com and follow them at women to look up to and if that's a bit steep for you they're also selling lovely Christmas cards. Support for the Hilo comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From search to email to maps and beyond, it has a history of challenging the norm and finding a better way. Each week we're going to do a curiosity challenge in which Pandora or I pose a question to each other, encompassing the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the philosophical to the personal to the surreal to the absurd. So, Pandora, my question to you this week is, where does a person's true sense of self-worth come from? It's the million dollar question, isn't it? Does Mm. it come from within or does it come from the people who bolster you and stand by your side through life? I'd say it probably comes from both. You know, we do famously hear that you can't be happy unless you are happy inside, Mm. that the people around you cannot, cannot make for a happy soul. So you definitely have to have that nugget of um, self-worth buried inside. But I think the people around you are what, what water it. The bud is inside, and then oh, Dave, lofty. Ooh, <laughs> um, the bud is inside, and then the people around you, with the, stay with me for the metaphor, with the watering cans, yeah. let, the, let the flowers out and up yeah. your mouth, and you are then a tree Do of you know self-worth. What? I, I think there's something really beautiful in that, actually. Even if it was quite sort of disturbing when I tried to show the tree coming out of my mouth. It was was a little clunkily worded, (laughs) but it's a beautiful notion. The Google Pixel 2 is the world's best smartphone camera. It gives the best photos ever, capture every moment, even in low light, so that starry nights look as good as sunny days. What have you been taking photos of on your Pixel this week? Well, I haven't actually taken a photo of it yet, as I want to reposition it to get the completely correct girth to height ratio um, but I, w- <laughs> I will be taking a picture of my Christmas tree that arrived yesterday I have one too which is just completely mad because we're moving in two days so we're only going to have to move mad. it that is I mad I love my Christmas tree thank you very much to Google Pixel 2 and Christmas trees <laughs> it's time for the top line and I think Dave seeing it's the first week of December we should stick in 
a little Christmas song to intro it. Christmas top line. Scientists say they have discovered Santa's bone, a fragment of bone claimed to be from St Nicholas, the 4th century saintly inspiration for Father Christmas, has been radiocarbon tested by the University of Oxford and the dates match up. St Nick was believed to have died about 343 AD in what is now modern day Turkey. Two men from Birmingham have been arrested on suspicion of plotting to kill the Prime Minister by using a bomb disguised as a bag to blow off the gates of Downing Street and then to attack Theresa May with knives. The plot was revealed to the Cabinet by Andrew Parker, the head of MI5, who also told ministers that security services have foiled nine terrorist attacks on the UK in the last year. Love Island fans were left devastated this week as Kem and Amber announced their breakup due to conflicting schedules. Side note, not normally anticipated in the top line, I would have thought that after appearing on a programme called Love Island, their schedule would, in essence, be sustaining their love. (laughs) The BBC has a new mission to help students determine what is fake news and what is real. The initiative, aimed at secondary schools and sixth form colleges across the UK, will begin in March, with top BBC journalists such as Kamal Ahmed offering mentoring in class and online to help spot fake news. The programme's hoping to roll out to a thousand schools. Deliveroo is now offering insurance to its drivers after pressure to protect their self-employed workers. The delivery service requires its scooter, motorbike and bicycle couriers to pay £1.85 a week and in turn the company will provide cover when they suffer an injury while working for Deliveroo or when illness leaves them unable to work. I'd quite like to see the same kind of benefits rolled out across the rest of the gig economy. Substitute smartphones have been developed to help wean us off our addictions to our iPhone. It's been developed by Australian designer Clemens Schillinger. The Mox smartphone is a weighted plastic block with a number of stone beads spread across its centre. It's a tool to keep your fingers busy without any iPhone features, like the vape equivalent of a phone. Convicted rapist Brock Turner is to appeal his conviction. The former Stanford University swimmer made news around the world when he was found guilty of sexually assaulting an unconscious woman outside a campus frat party. Despite a powerful statement from his victim, he received a six-month sentence that was reduced to only three for good behaviour. His lawyers now hope to overturn the requirement for Turner to be on the register of sex offenders for life. Senior officials have said that Donald Trump will recognise Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Israel welcomes the changes, but the Palestinians and Arab leaders have warned they will jeopardise any Middle East peace process. Israel has always regarded Jerusalem as its capital city, whilst the Palestinians claim East Jerusalem as the capital of a future Palestinian state. The Winklevoss twins, those of the social network who settled out of court with Mark Zuckerberg after they claimed he stole their idea to found Facebook, have become the world's first ever Bitcoin billionaires. If you don't own a Bitcoin, I'd give up now. One Bitcoin is currently valued at £9,483.47. The Russian team have been banned from the Winter 2008 Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea, after unprecedented, allegedly state-backed levels of doping. A very small selection of Russian athletes will be granted special dispensation to compete, but they must wear a neutral uniform. That was the top line. What is a Bitcoin? 
So it's a cryptocurrency. Apparently we should watch David Baddiel's thing. David Baddiel did something on Bitcoin. Several people tweeted me because I agree, I still don't really understand them and I think most people don't really understand them. But it's great news for the Winklevoss twins because they've just managed to buy them all instead. There's a catchily named movement taking over social media right now and it's called Women Spreading. I personally think Femme Spreading would be a better name, but that sort of sounds like margarine for your fanny, so maybe not. For those not up on the minutiae of zeitgeisty trends, hi mum, Women Spreading is the act of splaying yourself across seats in public places, obvious place being the tube, in symbolic riposte to man spreading. Young celebrities, including Dolly's wife, Chrissy Teigen, <laughs> Kaya Gerber, Bella Hadid and Emily Ratajkowski have all shared pictures of themselves legs akimbo in the last month. So what do you think, Dolly? Will you be spreading your pins and putting your best gusset forward this December? Ugh, no. Gusset forward. I absolutely love the word gusset. I think that's just triggered something in me, that word. Um, I'm not a massive fan of this, I've got to say. I don't know how much it's helping the cause. It feels very passive-aggressive, which really... I don't think is the future of activism, passive aggression. It's not particularly brave and it doesn't change the world. Rosa Parks sat on a seat on the bus where she was forbidden to sit. That changed the world. She didn't make some snide comment under her breath or take a lolzy picture to show her friends. I think the most useful thing a woman can do in response to manspreading is say, excuse me, would you mind giving me some space? Which I have done and will continue to do. A thing I'm realising more and more is that so many men don't even realise how they obstruct or oppress women. And I'm not making excuses for them. I think that's just the problem with privilege that you're born with. It blinds you so often. So I really think the best thing you can do when a man is making you feel uncomfortable is just point it out. I'd also say, sorry, slightly on a side note here, that the best thing you can do when anyone makes you feel uncomfortable is point it out. I've actually frequently encountered when I ask for the priority seat on the tube when I'm wearing my baby on board badge, often it's a young woman sitting there who looks really pissed off when I ask to sit down. Mm. So that's obviously nothing to do with manspreading, but I mean, I think it really applies to this idea of ask very politely to reclaim the space that you sort of duly yeah. deserve. Yeah. So we may jest, but manspreading is a real issue. There are ridiculous circumstances where you see men with their legs at sort of right angles whilst a woman contorts herself next to him just to fit virtually inside her handbag by the end. And some cities have taken active policy against this. New York City's public transit system created a campaign to discourage man spreading on the subway. Madrid's public transport system banned the move entirely. I wonder how they combat that. Do you think there's a little man or a little woman just going onto trains and pincering their legs together <laughs> with a sort of special man spready pincer? <laughs> Helen Mirren said she once got someone kicked off the subway in 2015 for man spreading. She said to Jimmy Fallon, When I wear trousers, I deliberately sit like that just to say I can do it too. Well, I I do get the appeal of that and I do get the appeal of women spreading. Man spreading is really annoying and it does feel really maddening when you see a bloke doing something with ease and without judgment that if a woman that a woman is forbidden to do as it would appear ungracious or ungraceful or impolite. The same goes for drinking or smoking or sex or swearing or dirty jokes. But I also think it's just unpleasant and yobbish to hog space <laughs> in a public area, which is already a place that could do with having more kind of stringent etiquette rules and courtesy, I think. I think we should all strive just to be a bit more courteous to each other anyway. 
Grazia is in firm support of women spreading, writing this week, isn't it time we stopped contorting ourselves into plight positions and instead reclaimed our space? A journalist whose writing I always really enjoy, called Radhika Sangani, wrote about her love of women spreading for The Guardian last week. She says she's been doing it for years and that whilst her elderly female relatives often touch, she actually gets more criticism from men. She writes, this might all sound like a pointless exercise, but at a time when sexual assault and harassment allegations are springing up all around us, it's more important than ever. After decades of being hushed up and ignored, women's voices are only just starting to be heard. The Me Too movement shows how many of us have been forced into a corner over the years, be it emotionally or physically, and how we are now fighting back. Much of the action is verbal, but it's also starting to get physical. Women like myself are breaking free of society's strict restraints on our bodies. After years of being told, give us a smile, be seen not heard, and to not speak unless you have something nice to say, we are using hashtag women spreading. We're finally taking up the space that we deserve. So on the space point, I do <clears throat> understand that. I recently had a discussion with Leandra Medine for her website, Man Repeller, about taking up more physical space during pregnancy and how, as a woman, that made me feel quite conflicted and really understand that there is this societal pressure for women to be slim and therefore take up less space. And equally, I rail against the idea of being demure and ladylike, but I do wonder if this is our biggest fight right now. I mean, you mentioned passive aggression for, for your reason as being a bit kind of unsure about it. And for me, I just it's kind of one of those fights where I just get a bit lost. Like, doesn't it detract rather than enforce from the point about Me Too. I'm just not sure a riposte or a bid for equality has to necessarily mean co-opting the exact behaviour of a man. It Mm. actually reminds me a bit of what your mum said Mm. about how women appropriating lad culture, or in this case just male culture, can Mm. actually be quite counterproductive for the cause. I often refer back to that amazing Michelle Obama quote from that speech that she gave where she says, when they go low, we go high. And I want to aspire to something greater as a human than spreading my body across a public space to prove a point to men. Can I ask a silly question? Always. Isn't there a small, oi oi, anatomical reason for men behaving like this in the first place? Isn't it because it's uncomfortable for many men with their testy clay? to sit like that? Or is that bullshit? I should have asked a doctor. <laughs> it's bullshit. Is yeah. it? Look at me now. Yeah, Dave's sitting there, very politely sitting Meat up and straight. Meat and two veg just squashed right in. <laughs> oh my God. They're not squashed. Ooh. They're just sat on top. So there you go. You've had it from the Oracle. They're just sat on top. I'm not sure. I, I know men will argue that, other than Dave. But I know men will argue that. I don't know. I've never owned a penis. Although Freud would argue there have been owned many times. One. I've envied those who have I don't know I'm not going to feel too sorry for men for their anatomy and how we can sort of run around accommodating the discomfort of their particulars seeing as we have to pay every month when we menstruate that's true the thing that's always quite problematic about digital trends like this and women spreading is a hashtag, so the whole sort of clicktivism, digital activism, is that when these trends are born of Instagram and consistently referred to as Instagram trends, so hashtagged, there is a real ability and tendency to write them off as something really niche and millennial. And women spreading is something being done and discussed by women primarily in their 20s and early 30s. It's not really reaching beyond a niche capsule of digital and pop culturally engaged individual. Do you think this limits its ability to take off? Certainly. I agree with you. I think the problem is that it's for sass points, really. Oh my God, I love that. Do you do stuff for sass points? Well, I I sometimes sometimes do, yeah. But 
the women who are doing this are doing it for a... I don't think they do it on their own. Maybe they would. I think most of them are doing it for a funny photo and a lot of likes. And that's fine. I'm guilty of that. Don't dress that up as activism. That's that's just serving your ego. It's not about fixing a problem. As I said earlier, that's not really activism. I don't think personally. I think it's just a social media craze that will be forgotten. I think we've got really confused with what's activism and what's just a personal choice. I think mm. definitely one of the points that I found really interesting from the Love magazine advent calendar feminism debate is that we can debate forever whether or not taking your clothes off is a feminist act but parking that why does everything that a feminist does have to be feminist you can be a feminist and you can women spread and i don't think that's a particularly feminist act or a particularly mm. powerful feminist act but that doesn't mean you're a feminist and that doesn't mean you can't do stuff that isn't feminist you mm. know we we have to have the ability to be sort of a bit more fluid we should have got our mate Sadiq involved in this um conversation he is actually our mate guys i wonder if he's got any policy planned we'll have to we'll have to ask him about it when we next see him do you I, think he calls us his mate no he doesn't does he no peers maybe not yet <laughs> i'd also quite like amanda hess to do five minutes on women spreading for me so amanda if you can hear me you know what you need to do. Also, here's an idea of how we can help each other. If you don't want to woman spread, but you also don't want to say something to blokes and potentially cause a scene or have to deal with all that, which I understand, next time you see a man splaying all over the train or bus seats and a woman is sitting next to him and looking kind of uncomfortable, say very loudly, are you okay there? Do you have enough room? Say that to the woman, to the female passenger. And also, just a caveat, there are obviously a hell of a lot of men who would never sit like that. Yeah, My course. husband would never dream of sitting like that. You have to be a fairly arrogant man to think that you deserve to sit with your legs that far apart. That said, I do so enjoy those pictures that go viral of when you see a woman literally one leg in her handbag, the other kind of poking <laughs> out the tube door because this guy is sitting there with his legs 14 feet apart. What do you think of women spreading? You can email us, show at gmail.com or tweet us at show. We'd love to hear if you are a femme spreader or oh. if you just like to spread femme. No, sorry. No, it's horror. It's absolutely horrible, that. You should be ashamed of yourself. All right, Graham. <laughs> Support for The High Low comes from Papier. We are thrilled to have Papier as a sponsor as Pandora and I are a sucker for stationery, cards, notebooks and sending and receiving letters. We are particularly taken with Papier's design and service. Order Papier sets of personalised Christmas cards to send to your friends and loved ones. You can upload a photo and customise the front. As we know, Dolly is pretty keen on the old personalised card thing. <laughs> you can also pick from over 250 different festive designs, from a Christmas cow to a classic nutcracker. And can I just say, I'm not a sucker for a Christmas card, but my God, these are beautiful They cards. are really and elegant. And if I wasn't moving house and slightly losing my brain due to my body invader... I would quite possibly entertain sending out Papier Christmas cards. Here's the big question, though. Who is the Christmas cow and a classic nutter out of the pair of us? Definitely the Christmas cow right now. I'm the classic nutter, I think. (laughs) The cards are £18 for a set of 10 with envelopes and 5p from the sale of every Papier Christmas card goes to the Prince's Trust. I do love the tradition of sending out Christmas cards. I hope it doesn't die. And it's also great when you can update the tradition with actually chic, cool cards. Hilo listeners can enjoy a 15% discount across all Papier products now when they use Hilo, H-I-G-H-L-O-W, in capitals at the checkout. Thank you very much to Papier. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. December has arrived and with it, the most wonderful time of the year. Or is it? I've always wanted to read um, one of the topics like that, like a local news reader. <laughs> it certainly hasn't been for one young woman. Kelsey Hall, a 20-year-old student at the University of Alabama, uploaded a photo of herself wearing a tree costume last week, stating that if she got a 1,000 retweets, she'd wear it to all her classes for the rest of term. She proceeded to receive 14,829 shares so far and nearly 24,000 likes. She tweeted on Monday, Guys, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> I love this girl. This is totally something I would have done as a student. What do you make of her? The best bit about this is how utterly miserable she looked in that initial picture that she tweeted on December the 3rd saying, if I get a thousand retweets, I'll do this. There's a great mystery as to why she volunteered herself for this, seeing as she is such a reluctant human Christmas tree. But that is, to be fair, what makes the whole thing even funnier. I know, the surliness of it. I really, really love December. It turns everyone so daft. As you know, Panda, I bought a um, Father Christmas costume last week. (laughs) Although I found myself, since revealing it to you last week, that I've slightly held off on the process because you made me feel a little bit bashful about it. Oh, no. You did a little bit. Don't let me dim your inbuilt fairy lights, Dolly. (laughs) May I remind you that I am the child of Mrs Christmas. That is true. You can only dream to be as Christmas is as my mother. I'd never want to deter anyone from their festive endeavour. To recap, my mother has an entire hand-knitted nativity scene complete with camels. They've got wire to make the legs bendy. Christmas trees... (laughs) Fairy lights knitted in can be switched on at the wall. Horses and cows. She also wears a Christmas watch, rotates three Christmas jumpers and approximately four pairs of Christmas socks during December. Our Christmas tree record in the family home is 11 trees in one year. That's ridiculous. Some are fake and the ones in the bedroom are very small. We have a Christmas clock, a Christmas tablecloth. One of the dogs has a Christmas jumper. The other is a little more resistant. Like Kelsey herself. (laughs) Is it more of a sort of Christmas shrub, some of those trees, when it was 11? Yes, they're very small trees. Right, I say. Christmas. Size of indie, maybe. Chris, okay, so it's Christmas topiary, really. Christmas topiary, absolutely. How are you finding December so far as a pregnant woman? I imagine that almost being harder than wedding season. <laughs> You've really been unlucky, actually, with the two seasons that your pregnancy has spanned. because you're pregnant for about four years, so you do yeah. cross over every season. The month of December is basically a 23-day bottle of wine for me. <laughs> Pandora and I already went to our first Christmas lunch, delicious Christmas lunch hosted by Glenmorangie Whiskey, and uh, I had to drink enough whiskey for the pair of us. Well, I'm still looking for my Christmas jumper. Bad Hilo listeners. Where is my one with patent belt? She does really want it. Oh, I want you to find it for me. I'm very busy at the moment. <laughs> you know what? By mere chance, I'm actually missing most Christmas parties this year, which I imagine is the time that I might struggle most as a heavily pregnant Christmas pregnant woman. I'm moving house somewhere in Paris for our anniversary, which is something that we do every year for one night. So that actually strikes out four Christmas parties. Mm. I think I'm missing four or five and I'm doing two. I'm slightly concerned what the tube's going to become like later on in December. I might start wearing four baby on board badges to like really addle the cross-eyed <laughs> unrelated but sort of related side note which I think you'll enjoy I did make an excellent Amazon purchase this week a Christmas hat for the cat oh she won't like that though it comes with a small elasticated chin strap 
I paid more for the express delivery than for the hat. She won't like it, I don't think. Oh, you sound like Ollie. Not everyone likes things that they have to do. Whoever said Christmas was fun? So it's like jury duty for your cat, this hat. If that's what she wants to call it, fine. India Knight wrote a really, really lovely column in the Sunday Times mag this week about the joy of having a drink over Christmas and she got some really tiresome, contrary comments and reaction to it. On Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of theories of why people do this. I think readers like taking any opportunity to pity a woman writing about something, even if she very clearly has said she's not sad about it. So the insinuation was that India can only be joyful while having a drink, which is just not what she was saying in the piece. She very clearly says in it, addiction is something very, very serious. I'm obviously not encouraging alcoholics to pick up during December, but she wrote a piece in tribute to the moments of frivolity that come with Christmas and how we can finally have these moments to unwind and let go of day-to-day anxieties. And she argues very convincingly that drinking a bit too much at a party is a part of that. Yeah, I mean, we can't get too PC about that. You know, I know I eat too much sugar, but I'm 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 not going to start feeling really worried that my baby's developing gestational diabetes just because I like a donut most days. We do get quite carried away with that, and that's where social media's bloody pain mm. in the arse for a writer. Yeah, I'm with her, I'm afraid. There's nothing more fun than getting drunk at a Christmas party. In previous years, I've come to dread December, despite how fun it is, because it is both a marathon and a sprint. Mm. It is all journeys at once, and pacing never seems to work. I've got this thing that my mates do called Pretendmas this weekend, <laughs> which is a day where a group of our friends do a kind of pretend Christmas day, and we drink only Aldi champagne and we do Secret Santa and eat 3,000 roast potatoes and I'm so, so, so looking forward to it. Do you agree with that rather hackneyed, maybe it's hackneyed because it's true, notion that Christmas provides a, a sort of soothing antidote to a particularly hard year, both personally or internationally or nationally? I think it's a roaring cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason, lest we forget. It makes perfect sense that we would rely on the more frivolous things during the weighty times. That said, I do think about what it must be like for those who are not Christian during silly season. The garish Christmas culture that the UK and US and other places, of course, as well, indulges in is an almost overwhelming thing for those that do celebrate Christmas. So it can't always be easy to be gracious about this slightly tiring fable or fallacy, whichever way you read it, when you don't actually celebrate Christmas yourself. But then you could argue that what we undergo in December is only very loosely connected to Christmas and the birth of Christ if anyway. At all, yeah. You don't need to believe in the birth of Jesus to eat a lot of sugar, get rip roaringly drunk and whiz around the office on your wheelie chair for 95% of the day. Oh, I suddenly wish I worked in an office. I know, I do miss it. Just in December, yeah. No offence. It's that end of term feeling of putting a DVD on. Oh, it's fabulous. And just wearing a hat. I'll bring you the cat's bomb with the elasticated chin strap. (laughs) I have a feeling that won't fit. I'm glad my favourite silly season is upon us again. I think we're all in desperate need of a mince pie and a snowball and some cheer. And I may not be wearing a giant Christmas tree costume every day, but in a metaphorical way, I sort of am. Speaking of, where are we going for our Christmas lunch? Ooh, It's time for Ask the Hilo. Dear Dolly and Pandora, I'm writing to you for some sage advice. I'm a university student and I'm having a great time and have lovely, brilliant friends. I'm also really productive. Not to toot my own horn here, but I get all my essays done. I read, I work out a lot, I volunteer. Good for you. Eating well and looking after myself has helped me to manage some issues 
I have with OCD and eating and I feel better than ever. However, I'm starting to think that I might be getting the balance a little off. I'm not looking for the elusive university experience, but I'm wondering if my sacrificing my friendships and relationships in favour of productivity and health. It's great to feel well and do well, but I worry that I'm not quite as committed and involved with my friends as I should be. I don't go out for casual drinks and it's not usually expected that I'll be coming to pub crawls or coffee dates or plays or whatever. They don't think any less of me for it, but I fear that I'm losing something in the long term. Do you have any advice for this sort of conundrum? Have you ever been in a real phase of productivity or work focused and realise that you've got something a bit wrong or should I not worry am I doing okay oh interesting I found this a really interesting question actually because it's something I still struggle with now absolutely I was just thinking it could be applied outside of university as well I'm glad that you do call it the elusive university experience because you're right it is this myth that people chase I went to university solely for the university experience me too not because I needed to go to learn I always knew I wanted to be a journalist I didn't need to go to university to do that I could have learned on the job however I do think the university experience was actually very vital for me I was very buttoned up I'd been at an all girls school for 14 years seven of them have been boarding I needed to go somewhere you know a, a bit grotty and I and sorry Leeds where I lived at the time I lived in the grottiest houses ever and we wore hoodies and trainers and there was just nothing pretentious or precious about my sort of three years spent there and that was really vital for me I had a very different experience to you I don't think I ate well I don't think I worked out I don't think I did I did work hard but I don't think I did anything that was particularly wellness I think that's great that you are doing things that help you manage your OCD and that you feel better than ever I often have done things that have worked against that so despite only being I imagine you're a student so what 1920 you clearly mm. have the foresight to to kind of take that into account and 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 to cater to that I did feel a tiny pang of sadness for you when you said that you're not expected to pub crawls or coffee dates or plays or whatever I mean who enjoys a pub crawl but you could go to a play and you could go for a coffee and if you you know if you don't drink coffee you can have a glass of water mm. but I don't think you should cut yourself off completely I do think you might regret that and I would say that to someone in life now some people enjoy getting absolutely bloody hooned and going out every night of the week I've got some friends who hate it Mm. I've got friends who when they had a baby I knew that they felt this relief that they didn't need to get really drunk Mm. anymore Mm. they had an excuse not to be out it didn't make them feel great it didn't bring out their best self but I do think there's a balance when I and I know that you felt this as well Dolly when we're in this really productive focused workspace yeah we do we feel really good about ourselves kind of um work-wise and and you can feel really good about yourself and your body but you you do feel like you're slightly missing some of the spontaneity of life often when you're just on a random pub night or you go to some you know dinner party that perhaps you've been dreading a bit you come away with a new friend or a hilarious new story or just some you know when you ring me up and you say my god I went to this thing last night and the funniest thing happened I think life is really enriched by those experiences by those just like odd nights with funny stories you don't have to be really drunk to have them Mm. but you do have to go out Mm. you do have to go out to have them I think I agree with everything you've said and I I completely understand where you're coming from it's a balance that I feel like I'm always trying to get right yeah where sometimes I'll have a moment where I'm like oh I'm running in Regent's Park every morning and I'm making soup every night and when you used to get up at 6 a.m yeah it was short we figured out it's because you didn't have any curtains it wasn't really like a moral (laughs) (laughs) but whenever I go through those phases I often wonder am I doing this this to distract myself from my life am I doing this Mm. to 
call myself out of stuff to kind of be a recluse which I can tend towards sometimes and I think the only thing that worried me slightly as you say that you've had problems with OCD and with eating and as someone who's had issues in the past with eating and with control I think sometimes it's so good that the way that you're finding control in your life is now through routine and health and that it's nourishing you but it might still be coming from the same place of of needing to control control and find order in the in the chaos of life yeah and that's not healthy either so it's a boring thing to say but it's all about balance but balance is the hardest thing it's so it's hard. easier to oscillate from one thing to the from other from one extreme to another totally and as pandora said as well university is a really bonding experience I completely agree. You don't just have to have the university experiences getting completely wrecked all the time. Definitely not. But the friendships that I made at university, the women that I met there are still like my sisters. And I don't want you to lose out on that. And the other thing to do as well is that it's taken me all of my 20s to realise there are ways in which I can look after myself and get into a good routine that aren't so time consuming. So maybe instead of going to the gym that's halfway across campus for three hours every morning, instead of doing that, why not like go for a run with a, with a mate, start a running club with your friends or run to go meet your friend for lunch? You know, I think there are ways in which you can still look after yourself and have a routine that doesn't kind of take you off into this completely solo realm for hours and hours of the week, kind of crowd your friends into it. And, and I'm sure they would love to spend time with you and and they're probably just waiting for you to be more proactive with the social stuff so give it a go and try and merge the two and I do believe that you can still have the life you want whilst going to a play once every two weeks or going for a coffee with a friend I know that we all spend actually I'm not a massive believer in resolutions and we'll talk about this more on our New Year's episode later this month but um, I do one of my resolutions next year is to stop talking about being busy and stressed and to stop indulging people who talk about being busy and stressed Mm -hmm. some people are busier and more stressed than others but it's become such a sort of hack need words so yes you sound busy but I'm pretty sure you're not too busy to go for a coffee I'm pretty sure you're not too busy to go for a play you know we can get quite obsessed with what time we go to bed or the sleep we're having but I have found actually as I've got older and trust me this took me so many years is that I realized that I could do so many more things if I wasn't getting hammered so actually you don't sound like a big drinker there's no reason why you couldn't go to a play and you couldn't go tonight because it sounds like you'll be tucked up in bed by 11 anyway and then you can spring out of bed at 6 30 or 7 and you'll still feel fine you can be a tina brown you can be a tina brown (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much to everyone who listened to the high low you can rate review and subscribe on itunes please do it gives us a boost and helps other people to find us you can email us the high low show at gmail.com you can also tweet us at the high low show thank you very much to acast for letting us use your studio see you next week Bye bye we went to see a storyline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.